0: Hey, uh, welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm an uh, author and journalist and podcaster and so forth. Um, I'm hoping this episode will mostly be your questions or comments about whatever you want. Um, so get in the queue if you have any. Don't hesitate. I want to follow up on one point uh, from yesterday's episode, which was about Gabriel Mack, uh, who formerly goes as Mac McClelland, um, a trans man who wrote a cover story for New York magazine about getting a uh, phalloplasty or sort of having uh tissue taken from one part of your body and used to create a um, artificial penis. It's, it's a troubling article. You can listen to the last episode to, to get my take. I mean, my whole point was we should, um, if someone had serious mental health problems, there's probably no other situation in which we would tell them, yes, this uh, this one surgery will, will fix your problems. And we probably wouldn't celebrate it in quite the same way. Um, I do think people deserve bodily autonomy, but I, I was just sort of troubled by the article, and it's part of a subgenre. But after I tweeted about it, um, people were really mad that I used Gabriel Mack's preferred pronoun of uh, he, him, and they made all sorts of arguments that I thought didn't really make sense. I think this is like a really fraught issue – I know from personal experience that it's an issue where if you say the wrong thing, people will really try to destroy you or destroy your career and reputation. And I just think, given how fraught it is, um, there's first of all there's just a pragmatic case to use the pronouns people want. It's there's also the fact that if someone feels strongly about this, uh, it's just why would you antagonize them by by doing that to them? I, I just I've never quite understood this argument. I'm obviously someone who doesn't think that the sort of maximalist position on self ID is necessarily feasible. Like I think um, <laughs> see someone in the queue. I, I definitely don't want to talk to you ever. Um, I, I think I'll get to make any, um, I, I don't think like the maximalist self ID position is necessarily feasible. I don't think in every situation, it's always possible to see someone the way they want to be seen. I just think there's like very little upside to basically, uh, not not respecting people's pronouns and and the, people just had all sorts of theories about why this would be a good idea why it's a bad idea to do so here and i didn't buy it um i'll leave it at that i can i can expand more if people want but for now god damn it katie what's up katie i know you're not good with technology but you need to unmute yourself hey can you hear me hey sorry Who is oh this? hey
1: uh long time listener second time caller How's it going? Uh, pretty good. So I have I have one question for you. Why are you talking about this yep. right now Well, we could be talking about this on the podcast?
0: <laughs> it was my one. Um, I had to give an opening spiel about something, so I thought I'd do that. Also, I thought we we're talking about the substance of the like we're talking about the whole piece in a primo only episode.
1: You're giving away the milk.
0: The, but my milk is so bounteous there's so much protein in it oh, that I, and, I, and I have such big teeth there needs that I to be can a, feed the whole family. there
1: needs to be a trigger warning on this Colin episode
0: would you what, what's the situation where you have um, have you ever not used the pronoun someone respected
1: um, okay, so the answer to this question is complicated i
0: so yes okay you're a bad so person. i
1: Agree with you that this is a matter of courtesy. I just listened to Abigail schreier on uh, Barry's podcast. She read a, a, a speech that she gave at I think Princeton, maybe Yale.
0: This is Barry Barry White, Barry white. The sort of soulful singer.
1: Yeah, yes. Barry, white, very <laughs> white. Yeah, she's blind, um, and, uh, and and she talked about this too. She said, you know, when people tell me ask me to use their preferred pronouns, I do it as a courtesy, except when it go into like, confuse the situation, or I don't know, some other she had some other exception to the rule, but in general, I think that it's a courtesy. And like you, I also do not think that this is a hill worth dying on yeah. because the thing is, when you don't use someone's preferred pronoun, people will discount everything that you say, and I think that will immediately become the story on top of everything you else. You want your voice heard, yes yes you have you have misgendered somebody i do have some you know i i will admit that like public speech and private speech is different that is also something that is that is
0: yeah katie your internet sucks you're you're fading out are you doing the thing where you wander around the wilderness trying to
1: not use somebody's preferred pronouns you know, thirty seconds after I learned that this person is now them in conversation with my wife
0: oh, Can you hear Katie, me, Katie? I'm losing you. I feel bad. No, you're uh, you're cutting in and out. Are you are you in the woods somewhere? Hello, Colin. You're the new Katie. <laughs> Sorry, Katie. I was just kidding. she Katie like. The couple times she's been on here, she's just like wandering around in low service areas. No, but I am but standing I outside. Be... Um, can
1: you hear me?
0: Wait, how are you still on? I took Whoa, Colin. Wow, we have three. I'm, have not, three I'm outside
1: way. my house. I'm walking in right
0: now. Yeah, I can hear you. I tried to take Colin. Is she there? No, she's gone. What's up, Colin? Right. <laughs> Sorry, my, I feel bad. But I...
2: my My internet connection is strong. My question is not. Um, but just remember that you open this up to any question. Go for it all right. The race war has started, tearing the country apart. Jesse Single, as an Ashkenazi Jew, is being drafted into one of two mm-hmm. sides. Which side drafts him? This is
0: like the, the what people of color versus white is the are the two sides? Yeah, oh, I mean, if it got to that point, I would definitely be on the people of color side because the, the white people would view me as a liberal Jewish intellectual, which is what happened, not intellectual, <laughs> pseudo intellectual, <laughs> wannabe intellectual, uh, which is what happens whenever a country gets to the point where there's a race war. Uh, so I think that's an easy call. Also, when it comes down to it, if that was the actual divide and there were like far right white nationalists launching a race war, I would obviously, the, whatever warts are on the left, that would be an easy call for me.
2: Now, it wouldn't be your call, exactly. That's true. Remember, this is a draft situation. I would
0: probably get just executed in a pit somewhere by either side, either for my transphobia or for my uh, Ashkenazi heritage. I wouldn't now, give such, see, a, I... such a bad speech before I was shot. I would just be crying and begging for my life. It would be a horrible, <laughs> horrible death.
2: <laughs> now, for, from my perspective, I think it's a highly regional thing, assuming that we're not doing the uh, north-south divide like the Civil War. Um, I think if you're at home yeah. in in Brooklyn, you may be drafted into the uh, white warrior side. Whereas if you're down south as you are now, you may be in the uh, people of color confederacy.
0: Interesting. Well, the, the racial politics I've found in Texas are pretty complicated because there's like a ton of immigrants here and like the, um, I understand it's a very red state, but they they sort of love, <laughs> they love Mexico. I like think just the, the extent of Tex-Mex culture and taco trucks everywhere. It's like, it's not as straightforward as I think one might think um, growing up in Massachusetts. Uh, obviously there's some anti-immigrant sentiment here. I think the, the worst anti-immigrant sentiment is like up in like Idaho with like the white nationalist compounds and stuff. But um, anyway, I, yeah.
2: Yeah. You, you can only be so anti-immigrant in Texas. Um, after you've eaten some some good mexican food yeah so and like my,
0: probably everyone has a daughter married to like a third generation latino it's it's all very um
2: mushed together right.
0: in delicious ways anyway thank you colin i'm gonna think more about <laughs> which side will draft me in the upcoming race war uh, please,
2: please get back to me if you can
0: i will Colin. I'm. A, thank you i'm gonna make the mistake of bumping katie back to the front of the queue because um you know i just have to i have to maintain our workplace relations katie are you there now
1: yes can you hear me
0: yeah that sounds much better are you on wi-fi now
1: uh, no, but I walked inside my house. I was, well, I was actually <laughs> as I was wandering around, uh, relying on the five G in the air to uh, connect us, and it failed.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you were saying that there were some situations where you wouldn't necessarily, and we will save the rest of this for the podcast. There's a lot to talk about. You're saying there are other situations where you wouldn't, you wouldn't respect pronouns, frankly, which was a shocking admission. It's to me. So-
1: yeah, it's I mean, it's it's complicated in public. I generally respect people's pronouns in private less so because private communication is different. Um, and, you know, I have a. am in a, a, a situation that's different than you in, in the sense that I have a lot of friends who are constantly changing their pronouns. And so if I've known somebody for 15 or 20 years by she and then I find out via Instagram that this person is now a they, it takes a little bit longer to adjust. I've also known people who have been they, thems the entire time that I've known them, and I never find it difficult. I never misgender them, and I never find it difficult to to use their pronouns. But I realize for some people this is a political issue, and yep. using pronouns is, is – a uh, they can't do it, or they don't want to do it because they think it's sort of acceding – is that a word, acceding? Um Some, some more. I don't know words. Um,
0: So that's yeah. I mean, well, that was that was the response I got to this. But I think you were pointing this out online. It's like, it's it's a matter of courtesy and staying out of trouble. It's not like by doing that you're saying, oh, now I acknowledge sex doesn't
1: exist. And also, like even people who fundamentally oppose using preferred pronouns do it with their friends. Like I've heard Graham Linnehan talk about buck angel and he calls buck angel he him and i don't think that this should be something that you do based on who your friends are i think there should be a principle here um you know like it just it should be a little bit bigger than like personal allegiance and for me like yes it's not it's not a moral issue this is not a hill i'm gonna die on i i do like there are other issues where i take like more umbrage like the thing that is going around twitter today i tweeted about it did you see this uh, trans woman and i think scotland fucked a dog and then also like got a kitty born and this newspaper reported on it nor i think it was norwich i don't know where that is somewhere in the uk reported on it and the headline said woman and then nowhere in the piece they they, did did it say that this was a trans woman and and then the so the only if you just read the piece the only way you would know that this was a, a male is from the mugshot which is obviously a male person so so that shit bothers me more because i think that is trying to obfuscate the truth like just you don't have to call this person male you can say this just like put a line in there that says trans woman don't use woman in the headline use fucking individual it works and this was the thing that jk rowling was complaining about and someone on, on Twitter, a couple of people on, on Twitter asked me why this matters. And I think it matters from a media perspective because the the, the the job of the media, or at least the job the media should take seriously, is describing the world as it is. And, and this is not the world as it is. And this yeah. idea that trans women are literal females or trans women are women is not settled fact. And, and frankly, I don't think it's a majority position at all. And so they're obfuscating what is happening. And I just, I, like, reality is important. We need to describe it as it is.
0: Yeah, Raleigh got in trouble because there's, like, yeah. I guess like, a Scottish oh, policy where, what, yeah, whatever sex someone who committed a crime said they were, it would be, get reported as that, which is, like, there's just, it's the most obvious thing in the world that there's at least some reasons to think that might not be a good idea, just in terms of accuracy of reporting crime stats, where there are right. massive male-female divides on violent and sex crimes, including... um dog yeah. fucking let alone horse fucking. Including dog fucking don't get me started about horse fucking
1: i know do you ever see women at the stable <laughs>
0: um yeah well i think we'll have a lot to talk about when we talk about this so everyone yeah. um i need to pimp so many parallel products but everybody become a premium subscriber to block and report it right now
1: yeah we're not going to talk about it on the free episode we are going to talk about it on the paid one so if you are not already please join us there's some really good comments on the last episode too some shit i hadn't thought about
0: there were two. There was. I agree. Uh, all but right. Are you I... done? Are you done stepping on my new platform? Yeah, God. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna go
1: wander around some more. Hopefully, I'll lose service soon.
0: All right. Bye, Kate. Bye. Thank you for joining. It's not my fault. What's up?
3: My uh, question was actually about that skin thing and the transparency of it. Uh, so on on Colin, you've already uh, said on Twitter and you you tried to make it clear in your, your written posts about it, but you are on Colin because you're getting paid to be on Colin. But it, uh, there's no like hashtag yeah. sponsored or like a, a disclaimer at the beginning or end of a show, like, uh, thanks for Colin for hosting me on, or whatever.
0: I mean, I'd be curious if other people on Colin are doing that. For me, the only time I, I feel like I need to say something sponsored is if I'm Saying something that i wouldn 't say if i wasn 't uh, receiving money for it, so and an advertisement is a good example of that, like we would when we had ads on the podcast, we would play special ad music, but the deal here is I can say whatever I want, and i wouldn 't have accepted any constraints on what I can say so um, I sort of thought by the way I presented it by saying like it 's official uh, but yeah i 'd be curious what other people think about that I, I obviously don 't want to be misleading, and I think i 'm very transparent about anything involving money, but um, yeah, that, that's the deal. They brought people on. They no one would have signed up right. for a new yeah. platform starting from scratch if they hadn't paid people to do it.
3: Well, I mean, I guess other platforms did organically draw people, but definitely not at at the size and rate as as Colin. Um, but uh, the other two parts of this question is um, back when you first started your individual substack, I asked a question about transparency there, about if you'd ever be open to um, having your paid and unpaid subscription bases public knowledge. And I was kind of surprised when, uh, like last week, Freddie DeBoer was totally transparent and he had like a state of the substack post. I'm curious on if you've changed your mind about that kind of thing.
0: I might do. I'm I'm doing my own state of the Substack, just sort of copying Freddie. I might give a general sense of where I am because I want to say some stuff about the economics of it, and you know where I'm going with my newsletter. That might be interesting to some nerds, at least. So I'm I'm considering it. It's sort of a collective action problem where it might be useful if everyone made it public. But like you know, if you make your stats public, some people will be like, "Oh, I can't believe he's making that much." Other people will be like, "Oh, he has so few subscribers." And you're sort of people like Freddie who do it are sort of hanging out in the wind, but I appreciate he did it. And I'm likely going to follow suit, not with an exact number, but with like a rough, uh, I basically hit a a benchmark recently that I might reveal. Okay.
3: Uh, I had a third part, but I forgot it. So that's all for my question.
0: Thanks. All right. Thank you for the question. Jane K. Janes. Jane K. You want to uh, unmute yourself? Next caller, you sorry, and what's up?
4: How's it going, Jesse? Oh, yeah, good. You? I would just say since uh it looks like Katie's hanging around, I will say that I have been a a primo since the beginning, and not only that, but I turned my wife onto to you guys as well, so I think you're now her favorite podcast, and she had to sign up as well, so you're getting two two subscriptions in our household.
0: yes, right,
4: <laughs> um, so I also wanted to give her a shout out i I told her about this app, and so she started listening so. Um, This will embarrass her, even though she's not named and and I'm anonymous. It will still manage to embarrass her that I'm doing this. So, hi, honey.
0: (laughs) Hello, Yossarian's wife.
4: (laughs) Um, But more seriously, turning back to the the pronoun issue, I mean, you know, we have a a good friend whose two daughters have basically come out as as non-binary and, you know, first one and then the other and, you know, they, them. And so, you know, with my friend, when we're talking about his kids, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna follow his lead to be polite, but it isn't the harder question and really the ideological question is is more with the 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 neo pronouns, right? The zims and zers and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And what I mean that really does seem to me to be someone trying to force you to acknowledge in some way that ideology and then of course the more common it becomes and especially for younger people, if if they're just so used to it, then it just sort of takes over over by default.
0: Yeah, this is one of those examples where I think like some people um, cover or think about the culture wars in like an overheated way and don't realize that like at any given point there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Some of it will be important in the long run, some won't. So in like 2015 or 2016, the New York City, human rights, whatever, put out this this one-pager that immediately went viral with all these neo-pronouns, and it seemed like that would be the next new thing. And it hasn't really turned out to be at all. Um, I personally don't really think it's... Uh, practical that anyone gets to just make up new words for their pronouns and I've actually haven't really seen that happen that much I mean a lot of people seem to be taking on they pronouns but you don't except in certain corners of the internet you just don't see ZZ or ZemZem Zem or whatever that much and yeah I mean everyone has different views on this I, I I don't it's it's just sort of creating a new right out of thin air that you just get to create your own pronouns and people have to uh, abide by it and I, I don't haven't really heard, heard a good argument for that i think that goes a bit too far so um yeah i think it's an interesting question but like like with anything else in this subject you're not going to find a lot of people willing to actually like talk about what it what it means to say this is the right people have because in other contexts we don't there aren't a lot of other areas where we say people have um a sort of uh unalloyed right to just be seen or referred to exactly how they want it, we usually understand Society's a bit more of a um, compromise and, and stuff like that. Does that make sense?
4: No, I think it does, and I think you touch on a good point. You make a good point when it's it's so impractical that it may that that effort may just stall out or crumble under the sheer clumsiness of it. Um, but you know, you also hear a story. We have I have a friend who you know does some teaching, and I think there was a student who was like the gender identity was revealed by the color bracelet that they were wearing that particular day. And would get upset if you if you mis misgen- if you didn't if you didn't mm-hmm. successfully decode the 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 bracelet message and it's you know I don't you don't want to nutpick, and you don't want to you don't want to become one of those those people deranged by the deranged um, but I I do find this stuff interesting.
0: no but I mean it's it's obviously not practical to to say people have a right to I I don't think so to change their pronoun every day and have I mean it's just at a certain point. Other people's ability to just refer to you in a consistent way should win out, as should the fact that we're not going to like get people in trouble at work for not following increasingly arcane and, and ridiculous rules. So, uh, I just think when the average person encounters um, the average person encounters a trans person, I think the response is usually sympathy and wanting to wanting to be kind and help this person live in an authentic way. But there's obviously this Tumblr-ish uh, extreme version of it that sometimes creeps into real life, but People don't like it. The average person doesn't like it. So um, I think some of that stuff is fairly easy to push back against.
4: Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I mean, one of the reasons I like listening to you and Katie is you guys bring a lot of common sense to these discussions that are often lacking in that. But I would just, um, I would just, uh, you know, close out by saying that this is just how the narcissism of an, of an identity obsessed movement goes. Right when the person says if you don't use my preferred pronoun, that is, this is my identity, right? This is who I am. And so you are you are violating. Yeah,
0: but I think that's true of a lot of areas though because increasingly it's a sense like if someone says they have a mental illness or a certain racial identity, nothing could be worse than invalidating that. And I, I don't think that's how identity works. I think identity is a negotiation and it doesn't necessarily help on the gender front or any other front, it doesn't necessarily help 15-year-olds to say, if, if the world doesn't see you the way you want to be seen, you're you're going to kill yourself. I mean, that's a horrible thing to say to a kid. So, yeah, it's it's an insane oh, discourse. I I, yeah.
4: No, I completely agree on that. Thanks yeah. for the time, Jesse.
0: Thanks, sorry. What's up, Jacob?
5: Hey, uh, glad to see that we are joined by the turfy friend of white supremacist, Katie tonight.
0: Katie. <laughs> One of the most bigoted people I know.
5: I definitely get that impression. I get to listen to her in my ears for an hour every week and longer than that some weeks. But uh, yes, to address an earlier caller about you, Jesse, I don't know that you necessarily would qualify as too viewy for the upcoming race war that the previous caller has um, been fantasizing about. but. On the pronoun front, one thing I, where I actually find pronouns to be super helpful is for people who have either gender ambiguous names or for, foreign names that aren't necessarily that common in a place where they are. Like I've been in professional situations where I've gotten an email from a, from a client, and I genuinely don't necessarily know what the person's name is, so I'd normally respond, "Dear Mister X or Ms Y or whatever it is." But in those situations, I'll just do "Dear their." first name because I don't want to misgender them and I was actually recently in a situation where my HR department handed me a resume of a candidate I was supposed to interview and the candidate had a name that is not one I was familiar with. And I read through the resume, having no idea what the gender was. And then very nearly at the bottom, it was like the second to last line, it mentioned that they were the vice president of their sorority. So from that I picked up on the fact that they were probably female. But I genuinely was not aware of that. Had that and had that line not been on there, I would not have known the person's gender until I met her. So I do think that like while nobody talks about pronouns and that debate and I think it actually would be helpful in some contexts.
0: Yeah, I think that, I mean, that that's fair. And I've, I've been, uh, quote unquote, misgendered a lot because if people just see my name in writing, they don't know if I'm a guy or a girl. So I've got a lot of misses single, um, which, whatever, it does, doesn't bother me. But um, yeah, no, I think that's a fair point that I hadn't really thought about. I appreciate it, Jacob.
5: Yeah, and I guess also just but in, in terms of the context that we've been discussing, I honestly don't really find this ever helpful to like intentionally use the wrong pronouns. Like, if you don't know, then yeah. fine. But at the end of the day, what are you actually gaining by like repeatedly misgendering someone? Because as was said earlier, the tr- even if you're not going to get anything done, the other person at some point will just shut down.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's obviously my view. And I think, um, you know, if you talk about um, this McClellan person, if you were their therapist, for example, the person most responsible for helping them, you definitely wouldn't do something that would immediately antagonize them and cause them to view you as the enemy. So it strikes me as common right. sense. I think a lot of people online are responding to the fact that this is so toxic and that. You know, pronouns are enforced um, sometimes in a way that's unfair or, or disproportionate for the harm. But um, anyway, thank yeah.
5: Oh, pronoun discourse has definitely gotten absurd, and I actually do have a lot of friends who do sort of make fun of it. But. Yeah.
0: um Yeah. Thank you for the call, Jacob. Have a good evening. Me too, Vlad. What's up?
6: Ooh, wow. Yeah that that microphone hang up mix-up thing. I can see why that, that tripped up a lot of people. I just <laughs> almost did it. Yeah, um, yeah my, uh, I'm Vlad. My, my pronouns are uh, Bar Pod Primo. Um, so uh, I uh, wanted to ask sort of more of a general question um, that I think, you know, as, as the author of the book you put out, you might, might have some more background on um, than, than most. So if if we take, like, the typical... Hot button culture war issue blow up or kind of ambient temperature um, in social media on, on any given topic um, as an indicator of, of two things where one of them is the design of the of the system the, the incentives of the platform built into the platform design and the other is the um, the distribution of mental health properties of that user base um, and that they can combine, you know, or subtract um, to, to give different results. How? What share between these two inputs to the sort of social system response would you assign if you were to have to estimate between those two um, sets of factors for, for certain issues? So like, it seems like you could, you know, for some things it might be where one dominates, but for something other things it might be where others dominate. I wanted to know since you've been kind of a subject of a lot of these, you might have some, some perspective
0: on it. Can you just rephrase that? You're saying for a given issue, how much of the, the sort of heat online has to do with mental health issues versus just, just rephrase that. Sure. Yeah. So um,
3: for a given issue, um, how much
6: uh, I, or I guess rather than how much to make it less quantitative, which would you, which would you think dominates the uh, outcomes when the outcomes are negative? Do you think it tends to be more the system design and the incentives set up by the platform? Or do you think it tends to be um, that, that for a given issue, there happens to be a, like a, a rather low uh, lower than, than average in the human population uh, or for most internet users, like level of self-control on, around certain kinds of emotional triggers?
0: Like, oh yeah, I think I got. Do you think it's one yeah. one or the other
6: dominates more sometimes?
0: Well, I think it. I think they, in, um, really unhealthy ways because, like, basically, Twitter is a machine that um, <laughs> Twitter is the example I'm most familiar with. It, it it can give you a lot of validation or it can give you conflict, and a lot of people like conflict and they like bullying others, and in a weird way, they like being bullied, especially publicly, because it allows them to to be victimized and have people rush to their aid. And in a few subcultures, I've been sort of keeping an eye on for a while. There are a lot of folks who I think based on their behavior, like just don't have a lot going on in real life. And I think they get engaged in these really sort of vicious fights that in theory are about politics and human rights and social justice, but are, are much more sort of, um, Middle school than that. And and I think sometimes it's it has to do with mental health issues they aren't getting help with. I think some of them just have, frankly, shitty personalities. I, I just think there's a lot of behavior on Twitter that would get you ejected basically from like real world social groups. But what gets seller or but it gets celebrated on Twitter and it gets it gets. There's like a viciousness that gets validated from some people on your side. But you'll get piled on by people on the other side. But the pylon actually helps you. It helps your clout because then everyone's like, oh, help this person. They're getting harassed. So it's just it's all fairly sick. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's my maybe unsatisfying and, and too nuanced answer. But it's just it's such an unhealthy place as it is. And I think that's especially true if you already have like stuff missing from your life or if, or if you're prone to sort of addictive or conflict seeking behavior. Does that make sense? <laughs>
6: yeah I think the the uh kind of picture you you paint of the kind of character who doesn't have a lot like going on in their life and it like becomes sort of the main locus of of meaning um I've definitely like seen that um, from people i have known in my personal life uh so I kind of Me too that, that's like yeah it's it's very it's very um clear when that's the case uh, unfortunately too um and uh when I've tried to like engage uh, with with a person like that, um, like on a personal level on either um, things that are just normal life stuff, like going to a restaurant or, you know, seeing a movie um, uh, or things that do touch on culture wars, like like talking about an economic issue or, or a recent political topic in the news. Um, everything just gets sucked into this kind of uh, this lens. Yeah, uh, and it can become yeah very difficult, and these tend to be the kinds of uh, folks who who either overuse or abuse, I'd say their their um, their social media uh, of preference. Um, I mm-hmm. have a second question that I'll wait on for later. I'll just jump back in the queue later on.
0: Thanks, Web. If if I can't get to you um, tonight, definitely ask me next time around. There'll be another one of these soon, but I'll, I'll try to get to you. Uh, Jane, Jane's Janes. What's up?
7: Jane, yeah, I think I hung up on myself earlier. Hi, Jesse. Um, thank you for putting this platform together. It's very it's very exciting to be able to talk to you because I've listened to a lot of your work over the past three years. The reason I came to your work to begin with is because I was in a master's program to become a school teacher. And this is after having lived on the East Coast, I lived in New York City for a very long time. I pursued a career as an actor. Then I came out here, and made a completely different life choice, living in rural Oregon. And part of my concerns, we were talking about pronouns, is how proliferated this is amongst kids and now i am a school teacher and when you're being presented with 14 year olds that are you know like i do wonder I and mean, we talk about pronoun and politeness i know that there's an adult world conversation to be had but i mean i'm in about as normy uh, i guess you could say as normy a place as you could possibly hope to be to, as a teacher i'm not in a community that that has That has followed the evolution of this conversation, but is definitely dealing with the absolute radical decision on what we ought to do as teachers inside the school and I feel so conflicted because I think this has got to be a major and powerful psychotherapeutic thing for every trusted adult in this kid's life to immediately uh, you know assume i'm in a state where there's no medical oversight and 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 so And so in in taking in the reporting that I've read from from Katie, from you, and I found your work because uh, actually I I was noticing this in my master's program in rural southern Oregon. Every single one of us was coming into like we had a once a week guide where we were coming from all of our different schools. And I just moved from New York City where I started to see what I thought was a radical shift in this whole conversation and thought, well, I'm going to go out of, you know, this bubble and things will be. Yeah, I'll be back in, you know, semi-conservative home state. And and I'm all the way out in the Pacific Northwest. And my gosh, I just, I was shocked at how many people in 2018 had at least two or three of these students in their school. And so there is another discussion about the pronoun that needs to be had. But it's already seems to have been set up in policy. And we've been taught, you know, even in my own school, in my own building, I was taught in professional development, you know, what I'm supposed to do. There were two. Uh, anyway, there have been educators that have been fired and rehired over trying to set some boundaries up. I mean, they at student, you don't even have to get, you don't have to even have any diagnosis of any meaningful kind to come into the school. And in some instances, I feel bad for the kid because I think that they haven't been screened properly. In other instances, the kid is being, you know, demanding this and the parents not on board and you don't know what to do and. It's really it's this is this is not playing out in a way that I think people can remain calm about it or we should. You know, it's playing out in ways that seem like they're pretty disastrous pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely these like I I wrote an article that I think I was wrong about in 2015 or 2016. But there are these schools that have a policy where if a a kid wants to change their sex, all they have to do is say that their parents aren't supportive it could be a 14-year-old, it could be a 13-year-old. They could have like serious mental health problems and the school will just hide it from the parents. And and it's really bad to cut the parents out of that. And I, I agree. I think a lot of these policies are terrible and are driven by activist groups that um, come at this from a particularly narrow perspective. I just, that doesn't really change my mind that in terms of interpersonal interactions, uh, I think we should respect pronouns. And, you know, I, I agree do- with
7: adults. Yeah. I, I'm just saying that the danger in doing that I mean it it depends I try to avoid it linguistically with my students to be honest with you because I don't have any guarantee that you know so I think with adults I I, I understand what you're saying but um in, but I do think it's, it's highly contested I think even in society right now well what does it mean what are we trying to say with this are are we you know are we being clear with language and are we obfuscating truths with it and, um but but yeah I I hear what you're saying I just uh just from a teacher's yeah. perspective, I think it's got me like like pretty wound up actually.
0: Yeah, no, I've gotten a lot of notes from from parents and from teachers and I, I think the uh, hopefully some saner, more balanced policies will will win out. But for now it's I, I think schools are just scared. They they don't want to be seen as unaffirming or transphobic and that's obviously a virtuous impulse. I just, I, I you can't have a situation where a fourteen-year-old can turn their whole, turn their school administrators against their parents with like three words, regardless of what else is going on. That's just a deranged policy. But um, thank you for the call, Jane. I appreciate it. Uh, Meg, how is it going, Meg? May, if you can unmute yourself, we can talk. If not, uh, there we go. Oh, no.
8: Okay. <laughs> it looks like they changed the uh, interface since the last time I called in. Um, so circling off the, the um, conversation about pronouns, I actually wanted to call in the night you had Batya on. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, and, yeah, okay, thank you. Um, in terms of sort of who becomes a journalist nowadays, and uh, I wanted to share my story <laughs> as the LinkedIn crowd calls it. Um, so it's circa 2013 and I moved to Chicago and I get a, um, what I would call a working class job. I don't think most people had um, college degrees. And I was actually one of the few white people. The majority of my coworkers were African-American. And it was very eye-opening for me at the time. Um, we had shifts that would end at 11 p.m. But most of the time you were sent home at nine. And this would cause, you know, I remember it happened a couple of times. It was downtown Chicago, but people would be upset if you were caught after nine because the majority of them worked on the South side. And, you know, to a direct quote that I once heard, I need to get home before the shooting starts. Jeez. So, yeah, it's very eye opening for me, who, who obviously not born in Chicago and, and white as well. And I also at the time lived on the North side. So, not something you have to worry about. um, Flash forward, you know, to now. I work in media, um, relatively large company, and of course, you know, you have the affinity groups and you have the diversity training and you have all that jazz. <laughs> but obviously, what's spoken about in terms of, you know, uh, racial um, concerns is radically different than what I experienced at that job. And what I find interesting. And then how it relates to what she spoke about and, and what I see within my own company, you obviously have a group um, w- within like a certain demographic, you know, African-American, Latino women to some degree as well. And they become the spokesperson for their group. You know, That's yeah. and, and that's the problem with identity politics because it's like, but you can, it doesn't necessarily reflect the whole group. There's a huge difference between the people I work with regardless of color now. And who I worked with in 2013. Well, this is but
0: this is a, a huge. This sort of tokenism is a huge problem in media because if you're this sort, of, uh, I mean, it's a big country and the wealth is not distributed evenly. But there's obviously a black middle class and a black upper class, and same with Latino, and they send their kids to good schools, and then like white kids, some of them end up in media organizations, and and it's absolutely true that there's this thing. I think white liberals in particular, who live in mostly white neighborhoods, they just like treat black members of the media as these creepy tokeny spokespeople and they yeah
8: well and that is exactly what i want to call in about because you know i i am (laughs) i'm part of a group i hate which is like well-meaning white people you know what i mean (laughs) and and so i have yeah and I, i i hate them but i'm you know sometimes i'm a part of them but you know and I, I lean a little bit more conservative than my friends, but I mean, not that much. I mean, that's that's how insane it is now. Like, I have to call myself conservative, even though a conservative, even though, of course, like I'm anti-Trump and all that jazz. Um, but, you know, they 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 look at a certain people and then then I say, like, oh, what about Candace Owens? Well, no, she doesn't count. Right. So you're, you're all into, oh, you know, listen to, to the black stories until it doesn't agree with what you have of a perception of a person who is black, which in of itself is backwards. Like you, you have become the thing that you don't want to be. You know.
0: Yeah, and well, not and 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 you know, I, I have strong negative feelings about Candace Owens, but even some someone like John McWhorter or Coleman Hughes, where they're clearly left of center and liberal, but they probably have like slightly more conservative views on. Things like culture or or crime or and stuff like that, but those are widely held views within the black community. And I I just I don't know. It's frustrating that some very self righteous outlets seem to only elevate the voices of black and brown people who happen to have the same political views as white liberals. And I I don't think that's by accident. I think they would. I think a lot of this just comes down to socioeconomic diversity in media, and that if there were more of it, the scene would be less boring and monolithic and pockmarked. So anyway, I'm just agreeing with you.
8: Exa- yeah, and exactly. So that's kind of my point where I, I appreciate what she spoke about and I agree with it, but it also affects what people who do not have direct contact with with a diverse range of people within one demographic. You know, they have the one token black bread. That's what Yeah, because like,
0: a lot of people immediately won't have a background yeah. like yours where they have like
8: a, an actual job with working class people. Yeah. Right. And so I guess my, and, and I'll end on a question. You kind of already answered it because something I sort of wonder, is it because it's white liberals gatekeeping these sort of minorities who get to become the mouthpieces? Or is it minorities who, who hold a certain belief system gatekeeping other minorities to make sure they conform to what they want to sort of stick their flag in it as stating this is what's best for the community?
0: I think it's um, I think it's more... To the extent that it's white liberals, who still have more gatekeeping power, which I think is true in most cases. I, I think it's more the prior, but but there's this whole complicated sorting thing happens where that by the time you get to the staff of a major publication that people want to work for, you're mostly getting people from fairly well-off families who went to good schools and those schools inculcate or select for people with certain politics. So just it, the more time you spend in these groups, the harder it is to have contrary politics and it's just a machine that creates a certain a certain monolithic beliefs if that that makes sense
8: no yeah i I completely understand and agree and i guess i'll I'll end on this note but then what is also frustrating for me because i am white but because i'm aware not i don't i don't agree with identity politics you know period like speaking as a woman i'm going to pull that card but not every woman can speak for me and, and likewise i think that's for any group but then when i say well I don't think, you know, like the Latinx one is the most obvious one. I mean, I, I find that so frustrating because most Latino people don't believe in that either. But then I'm the white person saying, I was like, we're the white person. You can't say that, which, which I do agree. But even what we have as the spokespeople for the Latino community aren't truly reflecting that community. So, yeah. Anyway.
0: I'm with you. I'm frustrated by the same stuff. Thank you for the call,
8: Meg. No problem. Bye-bye.
0: All right, guys, uh, Sharon, whose name I think I'm mispronouncing is going to be the last caller. Unfortunately, I just I, I have to go after this. There's a number of people in the queue, and I appreciate the interest. There'll be another one of these very soon. But Shirin, Shiran, 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 right? I'm not mispronouncing your name. It's
9: Shiran, uh, but, uh, but it doesn't matter. Shiran, I'm yeah, sorry. No, no problem. Thank you, Shiran. Uh, so I, I want to get back a little bit to the issue of uh, like uh, mental health a little bit in, in, in uh, journalism, actually. Because uh, today, Wesley Yang, he tweeted... This article uh, in the Guardian by uh, Jason Stanley, um, you know this kind of like um, you know, post-apocalyptic view.
0: Yale professor, anti-fascist, right?
9: Yeah, all about fascism and and the far right is here. And uh, so Chris Rufo uh, replied to Wes Yang and with a bunch of screenshots of Jason Stanley's tweets, um, saying that he's had a history of like anxiety and. Panic attacks, and that his parents brought him up on the memory of the Holocaust, and so as a way of of saying that this this dude is like he, his his anxiety, it really shapes his ideology, and and um, it, it kind of reminded me of this article in New York Magazine that you referred to um, about the, the the gender reassignment surgery. A lot of the, these journalists, they seem to have um some kind of like a mental health I, I, just journalists and pundits in general that like, um maybe like anxiety or depression and they seem to uh, it seems to inform or define their ideology i mean i've, I've had bouts with depression and my family like survived the holocaust but it doesn't inform like who i am and it seems like these a lot of people um wear it on their sleeves do, do you think there's any merit to that like they, they like a way of dealing of coping with their mental health issues is by um, having it part of their like worldview.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really complicated and you don't want to sort of diagnose it at a different, at a distance. I, I do think there's a lot of incentives in progressive media now to view the country in a particularly dark light and to view, you know, some things that are very serious problems like climate change in a very dark light. Um, This is, I think, another sort of like elite thing. Oftentimes when you poll Americans, like if they think things are getting better or worse, way more people than you would think think things are getting better or think that things are okay um, than you would expect given how mainstream outlets treat that question and and given the very dark view of America that often prevails. So I can think of people where I believe their mental health problems, I, I think it affects how they write or how they cover certain issues, and I, I think in the New York Magazine case, it, it so obviously did because he'd written about his mental health problems in the past. Um, you know, in a case like Stanley, I I, I would just want to be careful about assuming that was the driving factor. Um, it goes without saying that if you grow up in the shadow of the Holocaust, that's going to be anxiety provoking, and you're going to be very vigilant for the rise of fascism and anti semitism. But um, yeah, to me, to me, this is more. I think the mental health problem in some mental health issue might drive it in some cases, but it's more just about how, if you're in progressive spaces, you're supposed to say we're on the verge of fascism or that you know the U.S. has a world historical level of unfairness and stuff like that. Thank you. Uh, Anything else? Or uh, yeah, that that makes makes Thank Uh, you for the call. Thank you, everyone, for the calls. I thought this was a really good conversation. Sorry I had to kick some people uh, or ask you politely to leave the queue and kick you out. Uh, yeah, I just, I've just i got some stuff going on tonight and, and couldn't go much longer than 45 minutes. As always, if you thought this was a fun or useful uh, discussion, I, I would just ask you to spread the word about single-binding conversations. You can always send me a message on here. Send me an email. Uh, in the new year, there will hopefully be more guests. Just been, a, as I've said, a crazy uh month with travel and stuff so just hard to organize guests and get everyone on the same schedule but uh, yeah thank you guys so much and i really appreciate the support farewell